morning. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this greater sight. Why the bush is not burned? When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him, Out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good land and a broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. 
And now, please, let us go to a three days journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So, I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor, and any woman who lives in her house, for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. So what's in the name? What's in the name? Does your name accurately reflect who you are? You know, as I've shared with you before, Leah and I, when we named our children, we wanted to choose meaningful names with a godly biblical namesakes. Our, our oldest is Samuel, who is a great prophet, and his name means God hears. Joshua was a faithful and strong leader, and his name means the Lord saves. Abigail was a wise and a strong woman, and her name means joy of the Father. And Hannah was a devout and a godly woman, and her name means grace. And we gave our children these names in the hope that in God's grace they might grow into those names. That with God's help they might come to emulate the good example of those who bore the names before them. However, for as much as we might hope or aspire for that, we know that our children's names are not a promise. They're not a promise. No matter how great their names or how wonderful the examples of those who've gone before bearing those names, there's no guarantee that their names are ultimately going to be reflective of who they are. But that's not true about God. That's not true about God. You see, God's name is not just the aspiration of a wishful parent. God's name is a promise. It's a guarantee. It's a truth. Because God is... So what is God's name? And what does His name reveal about Himself? And that's the question that Moses asked God in today's chapter. What's your name? Who concerns? And then he lays out this ridiculous sounding plan for an impossible deliverance. And Moses says, let me see your ID. Who are you that you think you can do this? Do you have the authority? Do you have the ability to do it? Who is this God? In verse 13, Moses asks it probably a little bit better than I do here. If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Now, in the ancient world, it was believed that there were many competing gods. And while Moses unquestionably knew of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he specifically asks God here, what is your name? Now, friends, the name of God was important, not just for identification, but because the name of God would tell you something essential about him. Again, the names that I gave my children reflect my aspirations for them. But the name of God reflects who he really is. His name is a promise, a guarantee. It's a truth. Because God is exactly who He says He is. So to know God's name is to know something essential about Him. 
If there's something essential about his character, about his nature, about his identity. And in this case, to know God's name is to learn whether or not does this God actually have the authority and the ability to follow through on this incredible plan? Does he have the authority and the ability to fulfill this incredible promise of deliverance? So God answers Moses. He answers them in verses 14 and 15. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So three times God states his name here to Moses, going kind of from the long form to the short form. I am who I am, then just I am. And finally in verse 15, the Hebrew word Yahweh, which our Bibles translate in all small capital letters as the Lord. Now, before we explain exactly what this name reveals, I want to note that three chapters later in Exodus chapter 6, the Lord's going to confirm he is the very God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But when he revealed himself to them, he hadn't revealed this, his name. Exodus 6, verses 2 and 3, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord, that word name Yahweh. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. So, so he says, I am the God of your fathers. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And at that time, I did not reveal to them my name, but they knew me. So I am the same God who made promises to Abraham. And I am here. And my name is I Am. And so what exactly does that reveal to us? You see, God's name is a variation of the Hebrew verb to be. The Hebrew verb to be. Now, since ancient Hebrew was written without any vowels, the divine name of God is composed of just four Hebrew consonants, read left to right, yod Hey vav Hey, And those consonants are usually transliterated into English, as you see up on the screen. You know, again, W-H, I meant Y-H-W-H. And this name appears over 5,000 times in our Old Testament. Now, because the Jewish people didn't want to risk misusing God's name, they chose not to use it at all. And when a he- the Hebrew text is read out loud, even today, when they come to this divine name, yod heh vav instead of trying to pronounce it, they usually say the Hebrew word Adonai, which is the generic word for Lord. And our modern translations follow suit. Anytime you see the Lord in all small capital letters, like you see it up there on the screen, if you look in your Bible, you'll notice that Throughout the Old Testament, you'll see the Lord in all small capital letters, and that is signifying that it's translating this divine name, yod heh vav heh Now, because the Jewish people didn't want to dishonor God's name by risking pronouncing it, they would say Adonai, which means Lord, and they didn't pronounce this name for years and years to the point that its pronunciation was kind of forgotten. Exactly how should it be pronounced? And so when people tried to pronounce it again, 
um, they inserted the vowels from this word Adonai into these consonants, and they came up with the Hebrew word Yehovah, or Jehovah, which you've probably heard. And despite the popularity of this pronunciation at one time, it's largely understood to be a mispronunciation, and most scholars believe the most accurate way to pronounce it would be Yahweh. Okay, so the name, the divine name, God says, I am who I am. I am has sent you. Yahweh has sent you. Yahweh has sent you, Moses, to the people because Yahweh, I am, is going to deliver them. Okay, so knowing the divine name is good, but what does it mean? What do we learn about God when we hear that his name is Yahweh? What does it mean? Now, now in verses 14 and 15, we find this I am, and again, it, these are all Hebrew forms of to be. You see, when, when God refers to himself, he calls himself I am. When he says, you're to refer to me, he says Yahweh, which is he is. So who is God? He is. Who is God? He is. Now, when God speaks of himself, he says, I am. Now, is God playing Abbott and Costello with us? Who's on first? Who's on first? He is on second. I am on third. No, God is revealing to Moses and to us something about the nature of his being. What does it mean that God is I am? That we are to say he is. What, what do we learn about God from that? Well, the first thing that we learn from that is that He's eternally existent. You know what? There is a time before which I was, and there will be a time after which I am. But God always has been, and He always will be. God is eternally. In Psalm 102, verses 25 through 27, the psalmist compares God to everything else in all creation. And he says, of old, you laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They'll all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe and they will pass away. But you are the same and your years have no end. You see, unlike anything else in all of creation, He is. Heaven and earth were brought into existence and will perish. But God is. He has no beginning. His years have no end. And that means that God is. He's eternal. And friends, if He's eternal, that also means that unlike us, God is self-existent. We were brought into being. All of creation was brought into being. But nothing brought God into being. He is. And friends, if He is, then that means He's dependent upon nothing to continue being. You know, there are some religions and some gods where the humans sacrifice to the gods and, and bring them offerings of food or drink. Why? Because the god gets hungry or thirsty and, and is dependent upon humans for, to bring sacrifices for the God's continued being. But friends, if the true God is, and no one brought him into being, then he's dependent upon no one to continue in his being. It's as we sang this morning, you're not a God created by human hands. You're not a God dependent on any mortal man. Again, the Apostle Paul declared this very truth in Acts chapter 17, verses 24 and 25. He said, 
the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, doesn't live in temples made by man. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. If God is, if he's eternal, if he's self-existent, then that means, friends, God is the source. He himself gives to mankind life and breath and everything. If God is the only thing that's eternal and self-existent, then He must be the source of everything else that exists, giving life and breath to everything. Because physics has shown us matter can't create itself. Physics tells us that matter and energy can either be created or destroyed, and yet everything had a beginning. So the source of everything had to be something that simply was, that had no beginning. The uncreated one by which all things were created, the only one with no beginning who could bring about the beginning of all things, God is. He's the source of all things. So in revealing His name, I am, God is, we learn that God's eternal. He's self-existent. He's the source of all things. And friends, that also means that He is all-powerful. I don't know about you, but I am an exhaustible source. I can do things, but then what do I need to do? I need to replenish myself. I have to renew my energy with sleep and with food. I'm dependent upon bringing in other sources to renew me. I'm subject to the laws of entropy. Over time, I break down and diminish unless I add energy to the system so that I'm replenished and renewed. But God is. And friends, if God is and always had, has been, He's dependent upon nothing. Friends, God created everything that exists and He wasn't diminished in the least. He created all that exists and He didn't need to take a break for a snack. He didn't need a nap afterwards. God is. He is an inexhaustible, all-powerful source. He's not dependent upon anything or anyone to renew Him. And friends, he is an inexhaustible source of power, as the Lord declares through the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah 40, verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord, Yahweh, is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He is He's all-powerful. He's inexhaustible. And friends, God is inexhaustible. He's not diminished or lessened by creating or sustaining. And that is because God is unchanging. God is unchanging. The psalm that we read a little while ago declared that everything else wears out, but God is the same. Friends, God is. Unlike everything else in all of creation, God is. Because who am I? Well, I'm Adam. I'm the pastor of Chestnut Street Baptist Church. I'm husband to an incredible woman, Leah. I'm father to four amazing children. I'm almost six foot four inches, the tallest member of my family. But is this always who I am? You know, the fact is, it's hard to nail me down because I'm always changing. I'm currently the pastor of Chestnut Street Baptist, but 13 years ago, I was the associate pastor here. And 18 years before, 18 years ago, I was a youth director at a church in Massachusetts. 
I'm currently the husband of Leah, and I have been for 22 years, but there was a time in the past when we were not yet married and when we did not yet have children. I'm currently the tallest member of my family, but I have four children who are all trying to claim that title from me. And they're not allowed to. So who I am is hard to nail down because I once was, and one day I will be. I am changed, and I am changing. I am not the same as I was yesterday, and I am not the same as I will be tomorrow. But friends, God eternally is. He's unchanging. It's as we sang this morning, you're unchangeable, you're unshakable, you're unstoppable, that's what you are. God is unchanging. And friends, so it is that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, is also revealed to us as unchanging. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The persons of God are. God is. He is unchanging. And friends, in the midst of an ever-changing and uncertain world, isn't that good news? Because if God is, then unlike me, He's not changed by time or outside influences. He's eternally consistent. He's unwavering in His character. He's unfailing in His promises. As the Lord spoke through the prophet Malachi, in Malachi 3.6, He said, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. If God is, if He doesn't change, then neither will His love for us change, neither will His commitment to us change, neither will the promises given to us change. If He's unchanging, and if the unchanging God has spoken it, His Word will forever be true. And you can cling to that. Because in the changing world, as changing people, He is unchanging. He is. In fact, you might remember in the last few months as we stayed together the letter of 2 Timothy, we came across a statement where the Apostle Paul talked about the unchanging nature of God. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, Paul said, If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. You see, God is. He can't deny Himself. He can't deny or violate what He has said or who He has been. Because what He has spoken then is what he would speak now. God does not change his mind. His character does not change. Now, I, I've seen some proclaim, God is still speaking today. And friends, God is still speaking, but we need to remember that God is speaking today, but he will never speak something today that denies what he's already spoken. Because that would be to deny himself. That would be for him to change or to change his mind. And Numbers 23, verse 19 declares, God is not a man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and he will not do it? Or has he spoken and he will not fulfill it? Friends, God doesn't lie. He doesn't change. He won't deny what is already spoken. And he does not fail to ever fulfill his promises. So if someone ever says that God is speaking today in a way that denies how he's spoken in the past, they're mistaken. And they're telling you an untruth because God is. And he cannot deny himself. He is the unchanging God. 
God is the unchanging one. He is steady in the fickle storms of life. He's the unyielding rock in the ever-changing flow of time. He is the absolute in the midst of the impermanent. God is. And He reveals Himself to Moses here as I am. I am. Eternal, self-existent, source of all things, all-powerful, unchanging. And friends, God reveals Himself as I am, most of all, because He's self-defining. He defines Himself. Now, I don't know about you, but I've heard people often say, well, you know, I like to think of God as. Have you ever heard somebody say that? I like to think of God as, as the voice within my heart. As the architect of the universe. As the presence or the force of everything around us. In other words, somebody is saying, here's my preferred picture of God. This is how I like to think of Him. This is how He is to me. This is how I define God. But friends, does this work in real life? I like to think about Kevin as very annoying. I like to think about Kevin as 4 foot 11 inches tall. I like to think about Kevin as a big chicken. Well, what I prefer to think about Kevin may or may not have anything to do with the reality of what Kevin really is. That's just how I prefer, how I desire to think about Kevin. But friends, somebody has wisely said, the facts don't care about your feelings. It doesn't matter what I prefer Kevin to be or I feel Kevin should be. There's the reality of what Kevin is. And that's what's important. And friends, if that's true with Kevin, how much more is that true with God? God is. It doesn't matter what I prefer or how I like to think about God. What matters is how He actually is. And He gets to define Himself. You know, this is why the second of the Ten Commandments is in Exodus 20, verse 4. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. Because, you see, God is self-defining. God is self-defining. The philosopher Voltaire said, in the beginning, God created man in his own image, and man has been trying to repay the favor ever since. We're trying to create carved images of what God looks like all the time. This is how I prefer to think about God. I like to think about God as, my God is not like, my God would never do, my God is. We're creating a carved image. We're shaping God to our desires rather than confessing that God is, that He gets to define Himself, that God doesn't conform to our understanding of Him. Our understanding of God needs to conform to the reality of who He is. We need to stop worshiping a Play-Doh Jesus. I read an article where he talked about our tendency to worship a Play-Doh Jesus. He said, is it possible that we're worshiping a Plato Jesus? We shape, mold, bend him into what we want him to be. And then the very moment that particular Plato Jesus no longer appeases us, we roll him up and start over. We create a different Jesus, more to our liking. And when we do it, we're not worshiping the Jesus of the Bible. We're worshiping a Jesus that we've created in our own minds. Friends, God is not a Plato God. He is not a God created by human hands, as we sang. God is. We can't just reshape Him according to our desires or according to the latest cultural whims. He is, which means He is self-defining. We shall not create for ourselves a carved or a reshaped image.
image of God because God is. Friends, this is the Lord who revealed himself to Moses. So does this God, does this God, the I am, have the authority and the ability to deliver his people from slavery? Does he have the ability to make true on his promises? He is. The eternal, self-existent, source of all things, inexhaustible, all-powerful, unchanging, self-defining, He is. And so He shows up with Moses and He says, I have the power to deliver My people just as I say I do. And if I've said it, I'm going to do it. I have the authority and the ability to do so. Moses, go tell My people I'm coming. I'm coming for them. Friends, this was good news. For Israel. And friends, this is good news for you and for me as well. Because the very same God who appeared to Moses and to Israel to deliver them from their bondage in Egypt is the same God who appeared to us in Jesus Christ to deliver us from our slavery to sin and to death. When Jesus was arguing with the religious leaders in John chapter 8, in John 8, verse Verse 58, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Before Abraham was, I am. Jesus invokes the divine name and applies it to himself. He claims here to be the I am. And his hearers knew exactly what he was saying. That's why they picked up stones, because the penalty for blasphemy, for claiming to be God, is death. Just a little while later in John 10, verse 33, the religious leaders say to Jesus, it's not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus claimed, he said, I am I am the great I am, the true God. And friends, that is blasphemy. It's blasphemy unless it's true. And praise God, it is true. Jesus Christ is the great I am. And friends, if that's true, then that's good news for us. Because if Jesus Christ is the great I am, then just as in Israel's day, the Lord showed up to deliver His people from their bondage, So God has showed up to deliver us from our bondage through Jesus Christ. So the very eternal, self-existent, source of all things, inexhaustible, all-powerful, unchanging, self-defining God has come to rescue us, His people, and deliver us from sin and death and hell. Friends, that's good news. That is the good news, the gospel. And have you trusted Jesus Christ The great I am who has come to lead you to freedom. Have you believed and received the saving work of Jesus Christ, the great I am, who took on flesh and dwelt amongst us? Are you ready to live today in freedom from sin, from addiction, from guilt, from shame, from fear, and from death? Are you ready to follow Him to freedom? Because the great I am has revealed Himself The great I am has come with the authority and the ability to deliver and to save. And so, friends, wherever you are today, and whoever you are, don't wait. Today is the day to trust Him. To let Him lead you. 
to help him, have him help you live in freedom. Because friends, this is the true God. And nothing, nothing can stand against the power of the great I Am. Let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You that You are the great I Am. That You are all-powerful. That You are eternal. That You are unchanging and Your love for, for us is unchanging. You've never wavered in Your commitment to us and You never will. You've never forsaken us and You never will. And Lord, we thank You. We thank You for the power of Jesus Christ. The power that has come to deliver us and to save us. The power that has come to set us free. And Father, if there are those here who have never been set free by the power of the great I Am, I pray today that they would come and that they would trust. That they would receive and that they would be freed. And I pray that You would help us, Your people whom You have freed, to live that freedom. Not to return to slavery and bondage to our sins and to our old way of life. But in the power of the great I Am, to live free and to proclaim and to worship You, the great God. We give you all the honor and the glory and the praise now and forevermore in Jesus' name. Amen. In closing, let's stand together and sing hymn number 